Hello, and welcome to Minding the Forest, a podcast of the Louisiana Forestry Association. I'm your host, Jeff Zarang. In Minding the Forest, we'll talk about sustainable forestry, how important forests are to Louisiana and its economy, as well as issues in the forest products industry, and how forests benefit everyone. In this episode of Minding the Forest, we're talking to Tony Diaz, current president of the Louisiana Forestry Association, about his job as a procurement forester. Today we have with us Tony Diaz, who's the chip mill operations manager for Graphic Packaging International, with the plant here in West Monroe. Tony, good to have you here today. Thank you, Jeff. Tony is also the president of Louisiana Forestry Association, and we want to talk about your position in procurement forestry. That is an area of forestry that kids might be interested in, at least if they're considering forestry as as a major. And I think for landowners and folks who aren't as familiar with the whole process of manufacturing a forest product, um, would be curious about that as well. Sure. First, I'd like to talk about uh, your role as president of Louisiana Forestry Association. Tell us a little bit about how you've looked at that position and what is your goal? Sure. As LFA president, you know, my goal is to help facilitate as much interaction as possible between associations and groups, uh, including landowners, um, you know, the consuming mills, logging, uh, interests, uh, to get all of those allied interests, um, those things that they share, um, to, to address their common interests. Uh, they'll always have, you know, different interests for their own areas, but I think those things that we share, you know, sustainability uh, of our resources um, and just addressing our industry as a whole and its, its health, I think there are a lot of things that we do together that we can do as a whole that will further the industry in our state. I think Louisiana has huge opportunity when it comes to forest industries, and uh, it's just wanting to be able to contribute to that. It's kind of in my blood, in my family's history. I like kind of carrying that on. Tell us a little about that family history that brought you <laughs> to forestry. Right. So my, my mother's dad, Pop Buck, uh, in Mississippi, he used to be a crew chief in the Mississippi Forestry Commission, and uh, he uh, he used to have one of those trucks with the dozer on the back of it. And uh, I, when I was a kid, he'd park it over by the Yopon Holly, and and we'd us kids would go climb on the trailer and get around the dozer, and and we were in awe of that equipment. And he would tell us stories of what he did, and uh, when I. When I wound up graduating high school, I eventually went into forestry. Um, just, just wanted to be outdoors. It just, it just. There's a call to the outdoors that most foresters feel, and that is that is just one way you can plug that that desire and and make a living out of it. So, Tony, let's talk about a little bit about your role here as, uh, at Graphic Packaging. You're our operations manager for the for the chip mail. Part of that duty is specifically procurement. Explain to us what exactly does that mean? This is something I love to talk about because wood procurement is one of those things that kind of hides behind a veil when we talk about forestry jobs. It's it's not something that most people would even think of pursuing from the outset. It's just not a high visibility position. And, and really, 
um, wood procurement jobs, the, the buying for paper mills and, and saw mills and, and, and other mills of various types, you know, whether it be a pellet plant, those jobs can be very high pressure. And that is antithetical when you're thinking about a forestry related job. Yeah. That's not what you think of. <laughs> so I would say it takes kind of a certain personality type to be able to move into that that area. But wood procurement in general is just, it's that group of people that performs a supply chain function. Um, it's a unique purchasing function for the mill uh, to provide raw materials from the forest to the mill. And those raw materials can take the shape of, you know, depending on what kind of mill you buy for, whether it's a paper mill, saw mill, et cetera, that those, those functions have different shades, how they look. Um, you have different materials that you may be after, uh, whether it be pine logs or hardwood logs or pulp wood or chip and saw even. There are different nuances to it for different mills. Here, the way I would describe it is we're, we're this bridge between our corporate supply chain function and the actual paper mill itself. We kind of have that connection with the corporate office on financials. And then when it comes to pieces that move and interface with the mill operations, we, we do that too. And that's really what I'm involved in more is uh, handling trucking issues, receiving, uh, whether it's, you know, supervising, scheduling, scalers, um, volumes at the chip mills, outage coordination, those kinds of things. Uh, certainly uh, certifications falls under my purview and quality assurance also for the raw material. Let's talk about certification for a little bit. You have to monitor companies that bring the uh, raw product to the chip mill so you know that they've been harvested in a sustainable manner. Is that correct? Right. That, that's right. That That's our goal. If you think about it, that's in our best interest. The worst thing a procurement group could do for their mill is to try to buy everything as cheap as possible and buy it as close by as possible. They'd, they'd run out of material and wind up only having supply that's too far away. It would be a really poor way to try to buy in a sustainable fashion. It would play out, and that's just not wise. How does the weather play a role in, in what you do? There are controllable things that that you do is and when you manage your wood supply and then there are these uncontrollables weather being the most uncontrollable now you can prepare for seasonal changes and and mills typically build up a winter inventory they'll put logs or or wood, round wood in wet storage uh they'll beef up their you know a paper mill will beef up their chip pile for the winter a little bit but but there are things that happen out of the blue um, if, if you get a late spring series of rains and you're, you're pulling down your wet storage from winter into spring so that you can clean up the rows, that's when you'll hit your, your minimum inventory for your whole year. And, and suddenly you get all these rains and you've pulled your inventory down so you don't have the surplus of inventory behind you to help supply your mill. So you get all these rains and suddenly your your supply starts to dry up because the woods are wet and it's summer and your 
scratching your head, but you're also under tremendous pressure because you've got hundreds of people employed at your mill expecting their paychecks. They depend on you for the wood to run the mill, to run the facility. You can't run out. You lose sleep when you're in that situation. You've got to make it happen. There's no one else who's going to make it happen. Everybody's looking at you. Probably the most important thing is the the folks at the plant and continuing their job and being able to 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 work and get paid. But you also have responsibilities to the the people who are buying your paper product. That's right. That's right. And things have changed so much over the years. When it's wet, you don't want to go out and mess up the land. You don't want to do that. So you, you do want to back off logging when things are wet. But you've got to be prepared for those situations the best you can. And I. I've been in the seat when we've gotten so low, you know, at times when, you know, for instance, when in 2005, Hurricane Katrina came through and and there are other hurricanes we've experienced, particularly uh, recently when Laura came through and that affects your your supply a lot. Well, the timing of that hurricane, if it comes in when you've already built up a lot of wet wood, you can offset that. You've got a little time. To make up for it later but if you're low on inventory what do you do you you lose sleep and you you are under so much pressure not only from the standpoint of just having supply but but when your supply is low and so your demand is the same your pricing is going to get out of alignment and how quickly can you recover from that if you're going into the winter it's going to take a while to recover And then the consultants and the buzz starts happening and landowners hear about it and they all, everybody wants a piece of the action. And so in those moments where you've got rapidly rising prices, everybody out there gets excited about, okay, now I can make some money. And it's, it's, uh, it's interesting at that point because you, as the wood procurement professional, you're trying to bring the price back down as soon as you can, but it's just not that easy because you don't control the market. You are in the market. So one of the things that you look for when you are considering distance from the mill, a steady supply to the, to the chipping mill, what, what do you look for? First of all, there are no two wood procurement organizations that operate the same because each mill has its own uniqueness. And when I say that, I'm going to give you a list of things that will impact how a wood procurement organization operates. You're going to be amazed. Okay. It's extremely complex, and, and it's always changing. Some pieces are still, some are constantly moving. But geography, just the location of that mill relative to the forest that will supply it. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Is that mill near the coast? so that you have water on one side, so you only have a half circle of supply. Uh, Is part of your procurement area taken up with urban areas? Is part of your procurement area delta, so that you don't have pine trees growing there? You know, things like that have to be considered. Species mix, are you all pine, all hardwood? Do you buy some of each? Because where that grows is also relevant you know, as to how far you'll have to reach transportation. Do you have, can you only buy by truck or can you buy by rail also? How far by each? Um, The road infrastructure, which is really, really important. How good are the roads? Where are the roads relevant to the mill and relevant to the 
forest that you'll buy from. Um, and in Louisiana, you'd have to consider the bridges as well. Right. What are the weight limits? Yeah. You know, that'll determine how many truckloads you buy, uh, for instance. Uh, it'll also determine how well roads hold up. There's, there's this balance always, you know, between interests. Um, are there sawmills nearby? If you're a paper mill and there are sawmills nearby, well, will you be able to use chips from those that would offset roundwood purchases, for instance? Are there market chip mills nearby? Would you use those? Would you compete with those? <laughs> See, so they can be synergistic. Or they can be competitive. Interesting. That's not an aspect that I, I would have thought about. And then there's the land ownership patterns. Will you be buying wood from the U.S. Forest Service land? Is that close enough? Uh, will it be all, you know, small, private, non-industrial forest landowners? Will it be large industrial forest landowners? Would you want to set up supply agreements with those or would you not? You know, those all those are huge uh, considerations, then you've got proximity to competing mills. What does that look like for you? How does that direct where you go to buy? And does then, that also affect the cost? I know cost is something that is well, uh, sure. high up in the consideration. If you, if you have a higher demand in a given area, in other words, if you have a nearby competing mill, Obviously, increase in demand with a fixed supply would mean price would be higher, theoretically. But Louisiana is a good wood basket right now, is it not? It is. It is. Okay. I'm just curious about those situations where there are so many factors you have to consider. Like you said, for the Forest Service, is that a factor of cost in the market or is it a cost for transportation? Is it a cost for the species of wood? It can be. Uh, for instance, if you have regulations for one particular supply that don't apply to another part of the supply, regulations always increase cost because they reduce efficiencies of production. So those, those kinds of things do apply. They come into play. We feel like the supply basket that we have here is solid. It's not dwindling. It's actually steady or improving. So, And then... In our location, we're only an hour away from Arkansas as well, so that is a piece of of what we look at also. So you have the opportunity to get wood from Arkansas as well. It's not too far. That That's right. And is that dependent on the cost of transportation from bringing it from that distance and the cost of the sale? Right, and that goes back to when you look at sourcing from a greater distance, is the lack of pressure from that area going to cause lower stumpage so that you can then allocate some more dollars to transportation, you see? Okay. And so the, the, all of those things are always working in conjunction with, with each other at the same time because what the mill looks at is what, what's the delivered cost of that? What's the total ownership of the cost of the supply? That's what we look at. Like any other business, you want to try and get the materials as cost-effectively as possible. Right. There, there are limitations. One thing a successful business won't do is always try to pass cost on to the consumer. That can be detrimental for the longevity of the business. If, if your costs are going up and another competitor is managing his cost and keeping it steady or even cutting costs, well, how, how long would you stay in business doing that? The economics of supply and demand, I suppose. 
there is that dance. There's a constant dance. And this this takes us to, if you don't mind, uh, probably one of my favorite discussions is to talk about what the market means. Because people will call, we'll get calls here at the paper mill from individual landowners, and they'd like to know, what are you guys paying for wood? Well, even if I did answer that question, which, which I don't, even if I did answer that question, they wouldn't know what that number would mean to them. Because what I would pay for wood to one source wouldn't be what I would pay for wood to another source because their their components aren't the same. Transportation costs are different. Stumpage costs are different. Those stumpage costs can vary just because someone has a larger tract of land versus a smaller tract. Or maybe it's more difficult to log one track than it is to, to log another. Or maybe one has higher value because it's good for wet weather logging. All of those factors come into play, and it's not fair then to, to just say, oh, well, this is what you should be able to get for your timber. I couldn't know that. The people who will know that is if they'll call a timber company, the landowner calls a timber company and says, hey, I need you to look at this and give me a price. Okay, and then call another timber company and then another one and get them out there to bid on it. And then the landowner has a pretty good feel of what their timber's worth. Do you think there's a disconnect? Because I see often where people will look, for example, at the lumber prices or even you know what they pay for two by six at Lowe's or something like that. And they'll think, well, wow, you know, those prices are going up. And you read in the paper, well, oh, the demand might be up. But when... It comes to their particular trees, they may not be large enough or they may be a species that isn't in demand. When they see something in market news that says the price of lumber is going up, the anticipation is, well, I should get more for my trees, but that's not necessarily so, is it? It's really not. There are so many other factors and noise between those opposite ends of the marketplace. There's a lot going on in between. Like, what if uh, someone has just built a new sawmill? They've got a return investment on that capital, right? Versus a mill that's been there and and has depreciated out quite a bit and maybe is still efficient. That one's gonna that one's gonna be able to kick out things on the other end and have more margin. Whereas that newer mill, even though it's efficient, just the the capital cost alone may mean it has less margin recovery rates at mills are different. The amount of lumber you get or the amount of the yield of pulp you get for the tons of wood or logs that you put into the system, that's the recovery rate. So efficiencies. And you have to allow for regional differences, even movement in the market. As prices are going up or as prices are going down on the consumer end, it may or may not have time the lag time to reach the landowner on the stumpage side can vary a lot. It may be quick or it may be very slow. And the slower it is, sometimes that doesn't necessarily reach the landowner. Sometimes if, if it does not even manifest itself. That's right, because it'll swing back again too fast. This is not necessarily what you would expect to hear in a discussion in the forestry classroom at Louisiana Tech or I, That's right. I'm glad State. you bring that up. These these aren't classroom type things. And and one of the things you'll find about wood procurement people is they 
tend to not discuss details of their business because there are so many details that are their own competitive advantages that they have figured out through hard work, trial and error. These aren't school type questions. They are real world. And and I know I know really, really good procurement managers who've been in the business a long time who still make mistakes and who still learn, even though they're very, very good at what they do. So what do you tell the students that are possibly listening to this program and they're thinking about forestry and say, oh, well, this is forestry, so I'm, I'm in forestry. And then this market discussion comes up and it's not the science that they've taken. It's not the necessarily the economics course that they've they've taken. This is, like you said, a real world example of what goes on. How can they better educate themselves? So if this is an area of interest they have in the, under the umbrella of forestry, what might they do? Right. So I would, I would encourage them if, if they think they're interested in this, that what they should do is dip their toes into some courses that involve production, you know, operations type stuff. Um, dip their toes into some accounting courses, business courses, because procurement is definitely business related. You're negotiating contracts. You're negotiating. Okay. If you don't like to negotiate, if you're more laid back, if you're laid back, don't go into procurement. It's not going to be your <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> Sounds more of a sales job. <laughs> it, it is. It, you know, purchasing is sales just in reverse. What have we not covered about procurement that we really should include for our program today? I would like for people to know, especially landowners to know, that procurement people aren't these dark, shady figures behind the veil. They are just incredibly busy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they love They love the systems that help provide their mill with fiber. And the, the great thing about being in wood procurement is you get to deal with truck drivers, loggers. These are people that, that are as down to earth as you want to get, who are wonderful to deal with and colorful and, and so much fun. And then, and then you've got to turn around and go to a conference and wear a tie and be able to come across in a way that you can, you can sell ideas to a white-collar CEO or VP or director-level person. All of these various roles in forestry play a huge part in adding value to the whole system. And so it's not that one job is better than another. They're different. And, and they all support what we call our, our forest products community. And that is the thing I love most about my job is being part of a huge forest products community that involves everybody from the landowner on up. And then when you go and see your products in a, in a store, whether it's lumber or, or paperboard packaging as it is with us on the store shelves, you're really, really proud of it. You know how many different phases <laughs> of the operations and how many different types of people contribute to that end product. It's, it's pretty cool. Tony Diaz, who's the chip mill operations manager for graphic packaging in West Monroe, Louisiana. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Minding the Forest, a podcast of the Louisiana Forestry Association. If you'd like to learn more about sustainable forestry, the LFA and its programs, and how you can be part of an organization that supports landowners, loggers, and wood manufacturers in the state, go to laforestry.com. And remember, at the Louisiana Forestry Association, we're minding the forest for you. Thank you.